Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer, and we have a special guest this week. Welcome to the show, Mike. What's up, everybody? Big Money Mike in the house. Big Money Mike, $20 into that $50 prediction that I laid out in the group chat on the back of Jerwin and Jordan saying that you would match to the league entry fee. You're, you're well on your way, buddy. Hey, listen, I, Jordan is jinxing me twice in a row. One, saying that I'm going to go 50 bucks on a buy or trade fees, and then that my outfield was going to be the death of me when, no, it was relief pitching. But, Jordy, you're the man. I appreciate you, but I'm not spending 50 bucks. No. I'll have to see that to believe it. I was going to say, we have to be on pace for you to spend at how least many, 50. We're only in early June. How many more weeks do we have? So how many more weeks do we have till deadline? I haven't said it yet because I'm going to try to wait for – I have to send out a text to see when the most people are available. We give it – it's like a time frame, I think, between weeks 14 and 16, and I just kind of see which weekend the most people are available for and try to set Jeez. it for then. Okay. I think, I think tentatively that would be – Sometime between mid to late July, but okay. we're we're what one week removed from you hitting the trade limit, and you're already up to twenty. You already racked up twenty dollars in trade fees. You're definitely on pace to hit that fifty dollar mark, Mike. So we'll see who's right there. Yeah, we'll see. Jake, yeah. how you feeling? You were we were off for a week. How was your vacation? I was good. I I really enjoyed the listening to the podcast last week. I. It made me self-conscious about my relievers, and that was indeed the death of me this week. Made me self-conscious about who I'm going to stick at utility. However, am I going to figure out how to get any batter to stick in the utility slot? <laughs> no, but good job. Means- Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. I was going to say, if it ain't means anything, I fixed my problem that Jordan said was the death of me. Welcome to the team, Austin Meadows. Yeah. I, uh, but relief pitching killed me. Yeah, I don't even know how my team performed top to bottom. I i don't know, man. This year, I just haven't been checking fantasy much. I just kind of look at the final score and I look at individual players, I guess, to see if, if somebody needs to be removed from the lineup or somebody's on a hot streak and has, you know, has earned their way into my lineup. But other than that, I don't really do like a, a deep dive on a weekly basis. Maybe I should, cause I'm kind of in a middling record right now, 10 and eight, but, but good job to Jordan and Jerwin carrying our podcast last week. Thanks. Thanks for hosting. Let's jump into this week. We got a little uh, player a or player B. We're going to bring that back to do with Mike this week. And we're also going to do a little bit of expanded trade talk this week. I'm not going to spoil what our, our special segment relating to trades is just yet, but you'll hear pretty shortly. So prior week recap, talking about week nine, our interdivision week. Uh, biggest upset. Mike, I'll let you lead us off. Who did you have? Yeah, so... You know, all the matchups across the board. I mean, last week was a really big week for everybody. Great matchups across. But I would say the biggest upset would have to be Scott losing that potential first win that he would have had in the league, taking over um, formerly uh, Blom's team. I know I didn't pay attention to it a whole ton, 
But when Nick sent me, or not sent me, sent a picture through the group message about how close that score was, I'm like, wow, you know, Scott, he might actually do it. And albeit that, you know, it was two teams that were on the bottom of the standings, but, you know, you always want to get that first win, no matter if it's close, not close. And he was so, so close. And then I think it was like, what, the last two days, Saturday and Sunday, Eddie's team just, it popped off, really. Um, He had strong performances from Cedric Mullins. I think he had, like, almost, what, 40 points between those last two games. Um, And then Marcus Stroman had a really good outing. And it was just enough to devastate Scott's hopes, get that that first dub. So it was more of just a personal upset that I think was the biggest upset throughout the week. So unless Scott has to play somebody that really sells their team come trade deadline day, I don't know if that first win's going to happen. So that's my I mean, biggest upset. The, the 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 roster has one win on the scoreboard. He is 117. No, 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 no. I know Scott I hasn't that. won personally since he joined. Yeah. But it's not like he's yeah, in that's... danger of going – uh, without or, or the team is in danger of going without a win all season. At least he got one up on the up on the scoreboard. So interesting yeah, take you, there. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you take over the team, you're going to want to get a win. So I, I know that there is that one singular win, but I think for Scott and anybody who knows Scott, he's very competitive, and I think he knew that that shot of getting a win was there. So yeah, I didn't talk to him about it, but I think he was like, damn. When am I going to win? Sure. Yeah, that's an interesting spin on biggest upset because by definition, it's not an upset, but Scott did have a lead late in the week, so I like that. Jake, what did you have? Yeah, so like Mike said, I don't think that there were a whole lot of – like this was the week where we had a lot of even matchups. So I didn't really think that there were a lot of things that we could say were upsets. But I had Sam over Jerwin because really these were two teams that were going in different directions. Jerwin just – and really – they were connected because Jerwin just bought a bunch of Sam's players. And I don't think that we saw Sam's team who was the seller coming out on top of over Jerwin's team, who was the buyer. And it was very close, but Sam got a huge week out of the guy that Jerwin traded in Corbin Burns. He scored 50 points. That was more than Rich Hill and Aaron Nola who were part of the return from Jerwin. And uh, yeah, Sam was able to pull it off and suddenly he is back. He's right back in the playoff hunt. Jake, I don't know if maybe we need to get some fresh voices, some fresh ideas on this podcast, because I feel like we pick the same biggest upset every week because I have Sam versus Jerwin as well. Freshly rebranded teams. I mean, I guess they'd rebranded a couple weeks ago, but really only the first few episodes that we're now calling them by weak pullout hitter and team positivity. Sam, after grinding out a 2-0 week, directly following his moves to sell off pretty much all of his competitive pieces was able to keep the magic rolling this week with another strong performance, another 2-0 finish, this time eking out a win by 6.1 total points against a revamped Team Positivity. As you mentioned, he sold Corbin Burns to Sam for a pretty big return. I'd say this win was nearly as disappointing to Sam as it was to Jerowin because this hot streak is coming after he has already sold his win-now pieces which likely means that there isn't much to look forward to in terms of championship hopes in 2021 for Sam, unless he 
flips the script and then sells all those keepers that he just got for win now pieces. I will say that Jerwin's team, despite sitting at a now dismal five and 13 record is looking like a consistently strong performer after putting up over 265 points in two of the last three weeks. And part of this new look for team positivity can actually be attributed like Jake and I have mentioned to the man who bested him this week, Sam, as we all know, they executed that shocking Corbin Burns trade about a week and a half ago. At this point, I, you know, I know Jerwin just lost to Sam head to head, but I'm not ruling out a climb into the top three for Jerry, despite the pretty wide gap between him and Nick with records of five and 13 and 11 and seven respectively. So that was my biggest upset of the week as well. Most shocking outcome. I will go ahead and lead us off here. I had the, uh, Holy matrimony matchup, Team C. Deemer versus Jake's fantasy baseball team. This one ended up being the high-scoring matchup that I'm sure most of us expected, but the shocking part to me was the difference in the final score, a measly 3.6 points. Now, I know that Sam beat Jerwin by you know just a handful of points too, but given that the matchup was a buyer versus a seller, I think it was fair to classify that one as an upset. Whereas this one was kind of just expected to be a gauntlet between the two first place teams, right? Now we have a new first place team overall in the league as Courtney actually has tied Jake in overall record, but has a very comfortable lead in total points scored, which is our standings tiebreaker. And surprisingly enough, Jake's downfall was actually a similar culprit to the one that I faced a few weeks ago, needing just a decent start from my best pitcher as Garrett Cole ended up scoring zero points in this matchup. Obviously, as the final score indicates, even just a four-point outing from Cole would have locked up the 2-0 finish on the week for Jake. You can't be disappointed with the performance of the whole team, Jake. Anytime you put up around one or 275 points, it, it kind of seems like that's the golden mark this year for securing a 2-0 week most of the time. But man, it's always tough to lose by such a small margin. Yeah, it was also who I lost to as well. That was uh, that was disappointing. Yeah, go ahead and give us your most shocking outcome, Jake. All right, so I went with the the wild card race just as a whole because I thought I'll be honest, I thought Jordan kind of had this. I thought he sort of had it locked up as soon as Sam started started to signal that he was going to sell. I I didn't see Jerwin buying, I guess is the big thing. And I didn't see Sam turning it around and suddenly we got a real race on our hands. Uh, Sam currently has that spot right now. Jordan is one game behind him. Jerwin is three, but he also, we also acknowledge he, had, he now has a very good team again. And this is going to be really fun to watch the rest of the way. I, I, I could even see maybe two of these teams. If maybe uh, one of the top teams has a, has it strings a couple bad weeks together Maybe they start to fall out of it. It's going to be really close to, to the back end of the playoffs, I think. It's going to be a really fun race to watch the rest of the way. Definitely. Mike, who did you have for most shocking outcome? Uh, so talking more about uh, Jerry versus Sam, that's definitely my biggest shocker. Considering the overhaul of the trades that they made and, you know, between each other with Corbin Burns, Aaron Nola, and other trades and self, um, you know, these two teams were definitely considered at a point to be on the outside looking in. And as a whole, you know, they still might be, but they are definitely still right there. 
And I think this matchup definitely proved that they're not easy wins, no matter if you see Jerry buying hard or Sam selling. There's still really two good teams, and I can definitely see, kind of like how Jake said, you know, them pushing for that for a spot if a few teams do have a few bad weeks. Um, it's definitely cool to see that two of the teams that made the biggest trades had one of the best matchups in the week. So really cool to see. Definitely shocked me. So no longer an easy win. So Jerry, keep bringing the positive vibes. Sam, keep doing you, man. I love it. Yeah, this is an interesting trend that, that we're seeing this year with, you know, I'd say we're, we're still in the first week of June. So I would say anybody that's selling at this point, I would still consider an early seller since we're not necessarily in the, you know, the dog days of summer just yet. We've seen two of our three early sellers, Nick and Sam, go on hot streaks pretty much right after they started selling and and kind of like thrust their way either fully into or like just scratching the surface of getting back into the playoff hunt. Pretty much the only team that, that decided to sell early and looks like a seller by record is Scott, but you can't blame him because, well, auto draft just kind of kicked that team's ass. Uh but it's interesting this year we're seeing, you know, people that are deciding to sell early, they're not really out of it. Like, it seems like, I don't know, or like people are buying in on keepers that are performing right now, I guess. That's maybe the only way that I can kind of explain this trend. But yeah, I think it's kind of go off that. I think it's more of just an insurance that like, you know, you still want to compete. But if you feel like your team's not quite there yet and it might not win, a championship, why not try to get a really good keeper out of it that is performing now? So, yeah, totally agree. Hey, or you could just pop $5 a trade and, and keep trying to improve your team. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can do that too. Hey, I mean, it's I'm at 500 so <laughs> I don't know if it's working or not. Dollars we'll or your record? My record. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just teasing. No, but... it's $500, man. I... <laughs> The winners will say thank you. Yeah. I would hope you would be the winner at that point. I would hope for your sake. But top three. I wouldn't just put in. Go Go ahead. Sorry. I said I wouldn't just put in the money if I didn't think I was going to win, you know? Yeah. No, I I understand that. You and Nick both. You guys are racing each other for for league lead and and trade fees. But top three standings updates. Uh, It's kind of the same culprits that we see on a weekly basis. Mike, I know you made a guest appearance in the top three standings update for about a week, but uh, yeah, we have East division. No surprise. Jake one, JC two, Nick three with records of 15 and three, 13 and five and 11 and seven. And then in the West division, there's always kind of flip flop between second and third place. And I know Mike, you've jumped Brendan for one week to jump into the top three, but Usually it's between the four of us with Courtney sitting comfortably in first place, me, you, or Brendan in second place, and then the same, you know, the same three in third place. And this this week it just so happens to be Brendan in second, me in third. And the records for the top three there are 15 and three, 11 and seven, and 10 and eight. So close race as we have long talked about in the West Division. Fellas, let's get into some trade talk. We're going to talk about trades that have happened this week. And then we're actually going to talk about trades that have happened 
on the entire season so far. We'll get into that in just a minute here. But the first trade of the week since last episode was Jordan gave up Dylan Bundy. Nick gave up Robbie Grossman. Mike, I'll let you go first. What was your initial reaction to this trade? Um, I think my initial reaction was I think Nick potentially got the better end of this deal. Um, you know, Dylan Bundy's definitely been struggling this year. Uh, there's no question about it. His home runs allowed are I said what I saw, like what tripled from last year already. But I mean, he was still a really great pitcher last year. Um, I think the potential could still be there. And Nick definitely wants that need for his uh, starting pitcher. Whereas Jordan's need for outfield, I don't think is massive. If he's got uh, what? Um, I have it here somewhere. Besides that point, I mean, I think if I were Jordan, you know, if you want to move Bundy, that's fine. But I think he had time to move Dylan Bundy. He does have already a good solid crew of pitching with Tyler Glass now, Lopez, Charlie Morton, um, Martin Perez. So he didn't have to necessarily start Dylan Bundy, but I think he could have waited to see, okay, can Dylan Bundy get one more big outing? maybe two more big outings and then maybe possibly get another bigger haul outside of Robbie Grossman, who let's face it. I mean, I don't ever envision Nick was going to start him over guys like Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich. So I think potentially, I think Nick definitely got the better end of this deal. So, but time will tell. Jake. Yeah. I'm kind of in agreement with Mike here. The numbers under the hood for Dylan Bunny don't look, awful i don't really paint the picture of a guy who's unstartable like he is now but ultimately between a kind of a struggling middling pitcher and a middling hitter i'd rather take the pitcher i would agree and and a pitcher with a track record at that like dylan bundy has even in his limited success of 2020 he was a top 20 pitcher last year whereas robbie grossman has pretty much always been a waiver wire bat and he's playing in the worst ballpark in Major League Baseball right now with the Detroit Tigers at Comerica Park. I understand in one sense that Jordan just traded away Starling Marte for Max Muncy, so there were less outfielders to go around on his team, but he still does have Alex Kirilov, Brian Reynolds, Charlie Blackman, Nick Solak, Ramon Liriano, and Anthony Santander that are all outfield eligible on his team before making this trade. So from that standpoint, I want the pitcher with previous track record of success. So I would agree that Nick quote unquote wins this deal. Neither of the players are performing right now, but all else equal, I'll take the pitcher uh, like Jake said. So the next trade we have is another one for one that Jordan was involved with. He gave up Jose Ramirez. Mike gave up, Rafael Devers. I will lead off and say that I think this is a really good trade for both. I favor Jose Ramirez for 2021, or I should say I favor him on an individual season basis. So like even next year, I'll probably favor Jose Ramirez to Rafael Devers. But the trade-off is that you're getting Devers at a, at a pretty steep discount relative to the value that he's bringing to your team. So I like Jordan kind of taking a little bit of a drop-off in production for this season to get the discount next year. 
I like Mike as a team that's trying to win it all this year, trading off the discount to get a little bit of an upgrade in production for this year. Jake, I'll toss it to you, and then we can get Mike's thoughts on his own trade. Yeah, I don't have much more to add here. I, I, I think you kind of nailed it. It's They both got, I think, what they were looking for. Mike? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it was. Um, I texted Jordan the one day. I was like, hey, what do you uh, what do you possibly think about swapping third baseman? Because I didn't know if Jordan was going to potentially want to sell or buy anybody, but I figured, you know, Ramirez is right now the better third baseman, and I'm definitely trying to go for it. Whereas uh, Jordan, I, like I said, I, I really didn't know what his intentions were, but it was just a shot out of win, and it worked, and, yeah, we both got exactly what we wanted. So, So our next trade was – between the two of you, actually, Jake gave up Zach Allen, Robbie Ray, Austin Meadows, and Emmanuel Class A. Mike gave up Walker Bueller, Danny Duffy, Dylan Carlson, and Ryan Weathers. I will lead off with my opinion on this and then let you guys discuss what your thoughts were on this trade. I'll just break it down player by player. Walker Bueller is a healthy ace pitcher, and Zach Allen has been hurt for most of the year. Is Slated to come back, but it's not a given that he's going to come back. On the flip side, Robbie Ray is the healthy pitcher in a similar tier to Danny Duffy, who is currently hurt. Austin Meadows is clearly better than Dylan Carlson. And I personally prefer Emmanuel Classe to Ryan Weathers. The harsh reaction, which I'm sure Mike would classify it as that I presented to the league after seeing this trade go through was you have, let me back up and kind of explain my trade philosophy, how I grade trades. I understand the volume of, okay, if you cut out the front end of the deal, the biggest names, then you see Mike probably got an upgrade in the second starting pitchers involved because he's getting a healthy guy in Robbie Ray, giving up a hurt guy in Danny Duffy. He got an upgrade at outfield because he got Meadows, gave up Carlson. He got an upgrade at relief pitcher because he got Class A, gave up Ryan Weathers. Where I tend to put the most weight in a trade is the exchange between the biggest names in the deal and how much the balance shifts between those. And I'm taking Walker Bueller miles and miles and miles ahead of Zach Gallen for just 2021 alone because of Zach Gallen being such a question mark right now. And that is why... I personally had a strong reaction to this deal, but I will open the floor for you two. I'll let Jake go ahead and lead it off. Yeah, so I wanted I wanted to try to get another ace after Flaherty went down because I like to have I like to have three that I can reliably count on. And then my last two spots, I kind of just like to mix and match. So that was kind of the whole idea of trying to get Walker Bueller. But I I definitely think it's pretty even. Austin Meadows is a pretty big name that I'm letting go there. He's a, he's an elite hitter. He, he looks like he's even better. He looks even better now than he did back in 2019. Uh, he's hitting the ball in the air more now. He's getting a lot more power. I was, I, I really was trying to, and you can, and Mike can attest to this. I was trying not to have him included in this trade at all, but ultimately I, with the way that my lineup is, I have a lot of guys that I can move to the outfield. So I think it's a little easier for me to trade for a hitter later than it would be a, a pitcher. So that's why I ultimately went with it. But I do think it's very close. 
if Zach Gallon comes back and he's the pitcher he was before, Mike definitely wins the deal. And I, I, I kind of knew that going in. I just I wanted to play it a little more on the safe side. And conversely, before Mike jumps in, I'll say Zach Gallon being hurt for most of this year is close to equally likely as Zach Gallon coming back and being prime Zach Gallon. So conversely, if he's hurt, how does the how does the trade swing here? If he's still if he stays hurt all year and he's not able to be kept next year, then I would say that I probably that I would would have won. But it's it's one of those things where the tra- I don't know that this is going to be an even trade because the trade hinges on what happens with Gallon. Because if if Gallon's fine and he's able to be kept next year, that's that's pretty big. Sure. And where I was coming from in the group. Mike was, and I think you took this as me critiquing you, but it was really me just saying like, Hey, why didn't you like, why not just do this? Which was, why not just wait to see what happens with gallon? Because I bet if he makes one start and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but I bet if gallon makes one start and it's five innings pitched, six strikeouts, three walks, one earned run. I bet that Zach Allen or Jake doesn't have a problem making this trade in that case when Zach Allen is quote unquote healthy and back. I don't know. You, do you disagree with that, Jake? Would you think you, if Zach yeah, Allen was I, one star back there? Okay. I, right, I like, you got to keep in mind here, Todd. I like Zach Allen a lot. So if, if he looks like he's, if he makes it through the start and he looks like he's good, I, I probably would have asked for more. Fair enough. Mike, go ahead and jump in. Um, yeah. Um, I'm also another guy that really likes Zach Allen, but I'm also a guy who really likes Walker Bueller. Um, I'm a n- notorious Dodgers fan, even though I still like the Pirates. So it was, uh, it was a hard trade to make because of that. Um, you know, when Jake got a hold of me and he talked about Walker Bueller, my first reaction was no, like I'm not just because I've never really had a strong pitching core. And this year I've kind of finally, I guess, have one, but we got to talk in the more and he mentioned flatterly. And then the news came out that, you know, he's going to be out for quite some time. So he brought up Zach Gowan. I looked at Zach Gowan. I saw it through a simulated game and I'm like, okay, you know, there's good news. Um, and I think what got me to want to do this, of course, I really do like Austin Meadows. And I and Jake can even attest to this. I've been trying to get Austin Meadows from Jake for a little bit now. And he kept saying, you know, uh, you know I don't really want to move him. I'm like, okay. You know, I don't – I'm not the kind of guy to really push. Um, but we got to talk in the more – I offered up Dylan Carlson and – you can say that relief pitching really hurt me last week. So getting a, I want to say a top 15 closer out of it as well, helped that out. So I definitely took a big gamble on Zach Allen, hoping that, you know, he can at some point this year, you know, come back, play at a high level. Um, But also the potential of having him next year, because I don't personally have a whole lot of, keeper options I do have a few strong guys like Brandon Woodruff Fernando Tatis uh, Alex Verdugo but outside of that it's not a whole lot of options 
So getting Zach Allen that can't have that, I think he's a fourth or fifth round keep eligible next year. I'm not 100% sure, but he is a fourth rounder. Fourth round. I think Julio Reyes is too, so play that in a factor. But besides that point, I mean, I upgraded and personally solidified my outfield. I'm comfortable with it for the whole year. Getting Robbie Ray was really nice too because, like you guys said, Danny Duffy was hurt. So I wanted to make sure that I can get a healthy pitcher that can help uh, make up for any lost points with Walker Bueller being sent out, you know, Zach Allen being on the IL for me. So overall, I think Jake and I both got the players that we wanted. I think this trade helps our teams now still. And I think potentially, like how Jake said, if Zach Allen does come back and he plays at a high level, I think um, I definitely got the better end of the steal. But really only time can tell if that's the case or not. So Sure. And that was Jack Flaherty that Mike mentioned, not Flatterly or whatever. whatever Man, his last name is impossible to pronounce. I feel like sure. a dumbass every time I say it. Hey, well, on that note, Mike... If you're looking for another injured ace for your top gun, Brandon Woodruff, I have Steven Strasburg sitting in my IR. You just let me know, say the word, I'll send it over. Nah, Brandon Woodruff's not going anywhere. He's my boy. He's been my boy since I've been in the league. I feel like Walker Bueller was your boy, too. Walker Bueller is on my team. There's a difference. Brandon Woodruff's been... I love the Dodgers. I love the Dodgers. Don't get me wrong, but... I got Julio Urias. I'm 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 fine. I'm comfortable. That's Woodruff's my boy. I forgot you have Urias. Yeah. Let's get into the next one. Uh, this one wasn't my forte. I'll just come right out and say it. Nick gave up Isaiah Kiner Falefa and Jerickson Profar. Brendan gave up Adalberto Mondesi. I will describe this trade with just one sound. <laughs> Mike, what did you think of this deal? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not too far off from you. I, I, not too sure what Nick was really doing there. I don't think he had a massive need at shortstop. I know he's got Jazz Chisholm that can play at that spot, even though Chisholm's been on and off with injuries throughout the year. But um, I call him IKF because I really don't know how to pronounce that name. I'm terrible with it. But Give it a shot. He's, oh, man. Isaiah Kiner... Falefa. That's pretty close. Is it Keener or Kiner? Kiner Falefa. Kiner Falefa, okay. Yeah. But besides that point, I mean, he's been really solid all year. I mean, he's got third base shortstop eligibility. Um, I think you could have plugged him right in his shortstop. Be content all year. Um, I know he hasn't had any huge massive games over the past few days or maybe throughout the week, but out of burden of honesty, it's just not proven to stay healthy at all. Um, he's had a, you know, in a short, short amount of time that he's played, he's done well, don't get me wrong, but I mean, he's right back on the IL and it's like, damn, you know? Yeah. That happened right after the trade, which was unfortunate for Nick. I know. So, I mean, you look at it now, I mean, he does have, I think jazz in the shortstop position right now, but Falefa, whatever you say his name, I mean, he's, He's been playing better this year. He's been a great infielder, you know, throughout his whole career, and now he's bringing the bat. Not a really big move, I don't think, Nick had to make, so. 
Sure. Jake, what did you have for this trade? Yeah, I don't, I don't have too much more to add. It's just, you can't count on Mondesi being healthy. So if I was going to try to upgrade at shortstop, I think I would have preferred to have a guy that I could count on to be playing there for a longer period of time. You just can't, you can't count on Mondesi to stay healthy. I was, well, I mean, there's, there's the health factor of things, but I was also kind of surprised to see Nick make this deal because I had told him back when he drafted Adalberto Mondesi in our dynasty startup draft, you know, he, he, he and Eddie co-manage a team in that dynasty league. And he asked me like, Hey, why did Mondesi keep falling? This was after they had drafted him. I was like, because he's stolen bases pretty much only like he, he can't get on base really that much. Uh, he doesn't hit for power very much. He strikes out a lot. Uh, the only thing that he really stands out in is stolen bases. And that type of skill set that I just laid out does not translate well to points leagues, um, which is what our dynasty startup was, which is probably why he fell. That's what our keeper league is, obviously, a points league. So after I had exp- you know, kind of laid this out to him back in, I think it was March when we did that draft, I was kind of surprised when this notification hit my phone to see that he had traded for Mondesi here. But nonetheless, uh, it's not a move that's going to kill him. You know, the, none of these guys, these guys are all small potatoes. Kiner Falefa is having a nice year, but he's not going to be a top five third baseman or shortstop. Like Nick didn't give up the world to give Mondesi, but he did pay $5 for this trade, which is something that I don't know. I don't, I don't think that this trade, I don't know if it merited $5 personally, but. You know, I will say, though, I mean, Montessi's got the talent. No question about it. I mean, if he pu- puts the bat in and if he's healthy, I mean, Nick wins this trade. No question. I mean, Montessi can be a top 15 shortstop. I will say that. But it's just the health. Can top you, fif- can a top 15 field? shortstop isn't a starter in our league. We have 12 teams. No, but I think that's right around where Fleffa is as well. So I think potentially he could have upgraded a shortstop, but again, I think it's more of just a health question. So, yeah, I mean, he could have. We'll see. The next one, this is a, a controversial trade, maybe not because of the players itself, but because of the timing and the who that it was executed with. Jake gave up Yusei Kikuchi, Gavin Lux, and James Caprillian. Eddie gave up Craig Kimbrell and Jeff McNeil. Mike, I'll toss it to you. What were your thoughts on this trade? Um, not a, It didn't really throw me off a whole lot as the trade itself, I guess, more or less that uh, Eddie made the trade when he's been a little, I guess, inactive with the group message. And I understand, you know, that's everybody's got personal things, you know, your work schedule is crazy. But at the same time, it's like, oh. You know, where have you been? But I know Eddie well enough that he wouldn't just do this trade out of a whim. You know, if he feels that there is potential, and I think Kikuchi could be that, like, potential keeper for him, you know, why not try to take it? I guess the timing in itself was a little bit, you know, kind of questionable, but not really, because I do know Eddie, so... Not a whole ton. Uh, Jake definitely got an upgrade at relief pitching, which I guess has been noted that is a weakness for him. So overall, I think both guys got good value. 
guys that they wanted. So not a whole lot about it. And I'll jump in before Jake comments on his own trade. It wasn't so much the players, although part of it was because I think Craig Kimbrell was the best piece that Eddie had to offer to any competitor this year. And he just decided to accept Jake's trade before getting back to anybody else on their offers after like a month of being inactive. It was, I think the, the issue that everybody was bothered by was just what I had just mentioned is that he just decided to pick an offer out of the blue to accept before actually responding to everybody that may have been interested in one or both of the players that Jake got here in this deal. And as we've talked about, it's been a hot topic in our group chat for the past week and a half. I am equal in praise and criticism for all. And Eddie is one of my closest friends. He simply knows better. Eddie is a great fantasy player. He was the host with me on our fantasy football podcast and put together one of the best teams in that league last year. He finished second in our fantasy basketball league this past winter. So Eddie is a very capable and very intelligent fantasy player. And this was just a management woe that I personally think he knew better than to do this trade without at least giving everybody else the courtesy to say, hey, I think I'm going to go with this other offer, but I'll, I'll listen to a last-minute offer. So it's not so much the trade itself. It's more that I know Eddie pretty well. I know that he's a good fantasy player. And just like Mike said, everything, everybody has personal things that come up. That's totally understandable. But to kind of, I guess, re-enter the conversation, so to speak, in this way, where you just pick somebody's deal in particular – give them the first crack without giving anybody else an opportunity. It's probably the same frustration that you guys all had when I made my trade with bomb. So I, I empathize with it. I understand it. Um, and as I told Jake earlier today, I, I don't know bomb. So I can't say whether he knows better or whether he was a smart player. I do know Eddie and most of us do at this point. I do know that he's a good player. So I didn't understand uh, the management decision here, not not the trade itself, but just the, the way that I guess it was executed. Jake, I'll let you go ahead and jump in. Yeah, I can't really speak to the other stuff. I mean, I I texted him a while ago. It was, oh, I guess it wasn't a while ago. It was last week. And I, I, I wasn't really expecting a reply, to be honest, but I was trying everything to get a couple of relievers. I, I know a couple of people I reached out to and couldn't get anything done. So you should, so I saw Kimbrel and figured that maybe that was an avenue I could at least I could at least try, but I, I wanted to get Kimbrel because I maybe had gone a little bit too far with my hatred of relievers and my relievers ended up being pretty bad last week, so I just wanted to get somebody who I could stick alongside Graveman and Romano and kind of just leave it there. But no, no fault to I, you for for taking the shot, Jake. Kimbrel has actually been maybe it's the biggest thing that nobody's talking about in baseball this year. He's been one of the best closers in the entire league. Yeah. I really like him a lot. I, I buy what he's doing too. It's uh, he, he's completely regained his control that we all thought was kind of no pun intended gone forever. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I, was, I was kind of upset to lose Kikuchi though. I don't have a real strong keeper pool heading in next year. And he was one guy that was kind of looking at keeping myself. I, I buy the increased velocity. He increases velocity. Um, his cutter has become a really big whiff pitch for him. I, I really buy the results with him. And I think that he was going to be a lot of fun for me to have over the night, over the summer. But ultimately 
I do have, even though some of them are hurt right now, I do have a lot more starter options than I do reliever options. So that's why I kind of made the swap there. Sure. Yeah. And then the ancillary pieces to the deal. I mean, whatever Gavin Lux, we all know that he is believed to have a high ceiling. James Caprillian is a SPARP and has performed pretty well for a guy that basically came out of nowhere. So, you know, I don't want to say those two were throw-ins because there is some, there is a level of attractiveness that those two bring to the deal as there is with Jeff McNeil, who's currently hurt, but does bring some nice multi-position eligibility and, you know, a pretty solid track record. But I would say, as you laid it out, Jake, Kimbrel for Kikuchi was kind of like the meat of the deal, so to speak. So, But our last trade of this week was also one involving Eddie. Mike, you gave up Framel Reyes and Denelson Lamette and got back in return from Eddie, Chris Paddock. I'll toss it to Jake for his take on this one. Yeah, I mean, I okay with Paddock. He's, he looks like he's turning it around a little bit. The spin rate on the fastball is back up, has been back up recently. Uh, I, I don't know what the Padres are doing with Lamette. I know I say it like every week, but now it looks like maybe they're going to stretch him out. It Who knows? So I don't know. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. The, I think I'm kind of with you. This trade could be anything. And as of right now, it's, it's pretty much only just a question mark. There's no, I mean, Reyes is just, okay, he's going to hit for a lot of power. He's going to strike out a lot. So he'll always just be a middling option that you could probably throw in your utility. Uh, the other two, the pitchers, I, I don't come down firmly on one side or the other. So time will tell with this one. Mike, do you want to give us some insight into this trade with Eddie? Yeah. Um, it's more or less I wanted to go for volume for pitching depth. I don't know exactly how much volume Lamette's going to get this year, if any. I know he's picking up a little bit more, but I don't anticipate him getting into the six, seven inning range at all this year where Paddock could. Um, I think in terms of talent and play, they're right about the same. I more or less just took the volume, give me a good option for the rotation. Um, I do like Reyes. I personally do. I know a lot of people don't, but he wasn't, there wasn't anywhere on my offense that I can play him. So that's pretty much what, what it really was. So. Sure. We'll yeah, there's, a, there's upside to be had on both sides of this trade. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not too shabby. This next segment, as I've hinted at for the entire episode so far, is also related to trades. It's called, and you might know it if you were a part of our fantasy football league this past uh, fall, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm going to call this one part one because I assume by season's end, we might bring this back again. Pretty simple. Uh, each of us are going to talk about a trade that we think has aged well, aka the good. One thing, one trade that we think has aged poorly, aka the bad. And one that we think has aged horribly, aka the ugly. Mike, I'll let you lead us off. Give us the good for you. Okay, so, Nate, I'm going to just say this flat out. All three of my picks are directly and indirectly because of you. So, congratulations. All right. Lay out the good. But, 
So the good, I will say, quick little backstory to this one. I was at Walmart. I was getting groceries. And it was right when the season started. And then I see this trade happen. And it was between Nate and Bob. And it was the big Shane Bieber, Mookie Best trade. And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? I'm like, damn it. Like, now I got to do something because at the point, you know, Nate, your team was like, okay, you know, you're going for a juggernaut. So the trade that I'm talking about that aged really good is the one that me and Nick made way early in the year where I sent him Cabrian Hayes, Tariq Skubal, Michael Conforto, uh, Gene Segura, and Zach Davies. I get back Bryce Harper, Julio Urias, and Tommy Edmond. And I say this age well because for me personally, I got Bryce Harper, you know, easy plug and play at right field, top 10 outfielder with talent, no question about it. Julio Urias has had a great year so far. I can continuously start him each and every week. Doesn't matter the matchup. Um, and Tommy Edmond, you know, he's been having a great year as well. He's no longer on my team. He's on your team, Nate. And I don't think you can complain having him on your lineup where when I sold him to you, I got back Kenta Maeda, Marcus Simeon. I also included uh, Jose Altuve. I no longer have Maeda, but Marcus Simeon's been having an all-star year. So that aged really well for me. Got an all-star second baseman, a great talent in Bryce Harper, and a great season in Julio Urias so far. Um, Nick, on the other hand, his the only guy that I think he's still got in this trade is Tariq Skubal, which is funny because when I sent him to him, he ended up dropping him. I don't know how many weeks into it. And then I re-picked him back up, and then Nick picked him back up, and then Skubal's been having two great outings. So it's looking like Nick is finally getting that guy that he traded for originally. Um and then Brian Hayes, that led into a trade that he made to get, what was it, Manny Machado and what, Merrifield? Yep. I know there was other guys involved as well, but now that you got Machado and what, Merrifield, it's, you know, Nick's offense all of a sudden looks outstanding. And then Michael Conforto, I believe, ended up in a trade that involved Cody Bellinger. Right. So all... So all in all, I mean, this trade, I more or less kept the guys that I got. And what's funny, too, is Nick dropped Robbie Ray, and then Jake picked him up, and then I got back Robbie Ray. So the guys that I got in this have stayed on my team, performed really well for my team, and Nick was able to pretty much flip everybody and get Cody Bellinger, Manny Machado, and Whit Merrifield. So... I think this age, like, fine wine for the both of us. Yeah, this trade was like butterfly flaps its wings in Nevada, and there's an earthquake in China. There's a lot of, a lot of domino effects with this one, as you just laid out. I like it. Jake, what did you yeah. have for the good? So I went through all the work preparing for that trade, figuring out where all these guys were going, only for Mike. It's, so, it's, so, it's so much. Like, even, like... Kenta Maeda, like I, I traded him for Donison Lamette. 
and then Lamette turned into Paddock. I mean, Dylan Carlson kind of, in a way, turned into Austin Meadows. So this trade in itself was just huge. Yeah, I, I got nothing to add. <laughs> that hey, was that's, my fix. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, and, uh, <laughs> you You mentioned just – I just quickly want to highlight because I thought that this was like – like I was like, no way when I saw this. But you mentioned Tommy Edmond as almost like one of the smallest names in this deal. Jake, you and I were talking about Chris Bryan, I think the last time we were on, about him being potentially an MVP candidate this year. Little Tommy Edmond, who is also, I mean, I guess we're calling Chris Bryan a utility guy at this point. He's about to pick up his fifth position in eligibility. Tommy Edmond, we already know, is a, is a, is a utility guy for fantasy. You know how many points separate Chris Bryant from Tommy Edmond total on the season? Just take a guess. 14. Did you look? <laughs> I, didn't. I, I didn't look, no. It's 14. It's oh, 14. It really? Yeah, it's 14 <laughs> points. Yeah, so Tommy Edmond, like you mentioned, like he was kind of one of the smaller pieces in this trade, but he's, I... he's been really good this season too. I don't know if you recall, but when me and you were talking with that one trade, I really, I really didn't want to move Edmund. The eligibility was there; he was performing great. Um, so I think we both got guys out of Simeon and Edmund that we can be perfectly content with. All right, settle I down. Mean, settle I, down. I'm going to mention that trade. Settle down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to steal both of our picks for the entire set. Yeah, actually, my good was one that is semi-recent. It's Jerwin giving up Corbin Burns, Luis Patino, and Nick Senzel. Sam giving up in return. Trey Turner, Aaron Nola, and Rich Hill. I Let's put Sam to the side for a second. He got probably the best keeper in the league. So that is a win. Uh, pretty much no matter what your strategy is for this season. So that's my props for Sam. Jerwin, as a team that was, I don't know, three and fifteen or something with, you know, a, a bad record, is is basically what I'm getting at. He goes out and fights the urge to sell after starting very poorly, and gives up his best keeper to get two first round studs, Trey Turner and Aaron Nola. And I know that Aaron Nola hasn't lit the world on fire since he's been on Jerwin's team. But more than anything, I like what this trade signifies about Jerwin's intentions, which is that he is coming for a playoff spot. He's coming for potentially top three in that division. Um, and I think that Aaron Nola, he hasn't performed very well this year for Aaron Nola's standards, but he has still been an elite pitcher when you kind of look at the underlying metrics. So I think he's going to be an ace. Um, and so I like... Sam getting up the number one keeper in the league and being willing to pay two first round picks for it. Essentially two guys that are not in danger of falling off the cliff because both are in the middle of their prime. So that was my quote, the good I had three honorable mentions for this. Cause there were actually, there's been a lot of really good trades so far that I have liked almost wanted to mention here, but thought that again, this, the trade between Sam and Jaron was really good wanted to pick that one the honorable mentions i have first one is between you and me jake pretty much our only one that i can think of in like the last two or three years you got carlos correa i got alex wood correa's looked awesome since that trade 
Wood has had a clunker or two, but I, I don't think that he's in danger of falling off the face of the map. I still think he is going to be really good more times than not, and that's very valuable coming from a SPARP. So I, I still like how that trade has aged. The The next one is another one-for-one. One. Jordan gave up Max Muncy. Jerwin gave up Starling Marte. I liked those two plugging in needs for their team and giving up equal caliber hitters to do so. And then this last one, Mike, you already mentioned it. You almost stole my thunder. You gave me Altuve and Tommy Edmond. I gave you Kenta Maeda and Marcus Semien. I think that one has aged really well too. Despite Maeda's struggles, you were able to turn him into something through another trade. So those were all trades that I really liked. Anything to add since I just mentioned a bunch of deals? Nope, not really. Cool. All right, the bad. Uh, I'll lead us off here, and you guys can meme about it all you want, but my bad trade was Nick giving up Teoscar Hernandez, Taiwan Walker, and Wade Miley, and Eddie giving up Mackenzie Gore. I'm not even really going to elaborate on it. I just think that the trade speaks for itself, and we've given a lot of airtime to Gore this season, so I don't, I don't think it needs much explanation. Jake, what did you have for the bad? Well, I can't wait to see which one of you steals my ugly pick because you're uh, you're tied one one right now for for the bad one. Uh, <laughs> I also <laughs> I also picked that one, and it's most a lot of it has to do with uh, pretty much Miley and Walker going off on even Hernandez. All three of the guys Nick gave up have been have been playing well. Uh, Nick shipped off Gore in another trade, but I don't think he I don't think he quite got the return based on what he gave up. I don't know. I think he gave up more to get Gore than he got in the package to ship him out. Uh, so I, I don't think this one aged real well. And I Gore is not doing really he's not doing well, so he's not it doesn't look like he's going to be an impact player anytime soon. Mike? Yeah, I mean, nothing to really go off of that. I mean, only time will tell to see if Gore can become something. But my bad trade, and it's still really early to call it, um, it's actually the one between you, Nate, and Scott. And I say that because, one, Kalanick just went back on the minors. Uh, recent struggles. Um, so we'll see how that pans out. I think in the long term, he'll be fine. But I think if you're Scott, you're like, oh, like, did I just sell John Means for somebody that's not going to be that superstar that a lot of us thought that is that, you know, he can be. But um, Adam Frazier has been great for Scott. Can't complain there at all. Uh, really a good. Cinderella story for the Pirates. Um, Scott, what he also got Latenzin and J.A. Happ. Latenzin has been dropped twice by Scott. And a, okay. No T. I no wrote, tea. Down, <laughs> I wrote <laughs> down. I, Lorenzen. I there wrote down his last name. Yep. But anyway, uh, he was dropped twice, once by Scott, and I don't know who else picked him Nick. up. I think it was – yeah, I thought it was Nick. Um and then he dropped Jay Happ. He's still on the waivers. But if you're Scott, you're like, oh, man, you know, did I make a mistake? Did I give up too much? Um, I think if I'm Scott, I'm still not too overly worried, especially considering the state of the team he has. So, But there is room to be a little bit concerned about it. 
And then Nate, I mean, everybody you got back is hurt. John Means or went on awful. the IL. Or, yeah, I mean, John Means went on the IL. Luke Voigt's on the IL. He's nowhere near the first Actually, you're right. Everybody is hurt. You're right. <laughs> Everybody's hurt. Luke Voigt's on the IL. Steven Strasburg is again on the IL. And Nelson uh, Cruz Nelson- is day-to-day. Yeah, he's day-to-day. So I think it's still really early. I think, you know, if John Means, it is his, what is it, shoulder inflammation. I know he's a lefty. So we'll see if he can bounce back, still perform at a high level. Um, Luke Voigt, I mean, see with that, Strasburg at this point, it's like, like you said, I mean, me and you were texting about it a couple of weeks ago. He's so hit or miss. He can either be a top 15 starting pitcher or he's absolutely worthless where to be found yeah and then nelson cruz i mean probably one of the best dhs around but i mean if he's hurt and being at his age it's like how much more he's got in the tank so time will tell to see if this can turn around but yeah that would be my quote-unquote bad trade at the moment yeah i can't disagree i mean I gave myself more cushion for things to not yeah. work out, but still be all right in that trade because of how many good players I got back. But even that much cushion yeah. hasn't saved me so far because I've only put John Means into my lineup, you know, which has been a plus for me. John Means is is a great pitcher this year, um, and he in my lineup without any of the other three has still made a difference, but. When people saw that trade go through, I think everybody expected when all those guys are healthy, they'll make it into Nate's lineup at some point. And that just hasn't been the case. Like all the guys have either been hurt the whole time or they've been underperforming or in Strasburg's case, when he has been healthy, it's it's been a shaky call. Like I want to see him put together two or three good starts and then I'll start feeling confident as, you know, with him being an option to throw into my lineup he hasn't even lasted that long without getting injured. So it's been kind of a mess of a trade overall. Uh, I know Jake is actually going to talk a little bit about Jared uh, Kellenick in a later portion of the episode. So we'll save Jake's thoughts for then. Yeah. Uh, I actually have an honorable mention for the bad. It is Jake giving up Marcus Stroman and Jed Lowry, Eddie giving up Chris Bryant and Brandon Lau. This one Oof. is primarily a primarily due to how the trade has aged more so than it looking terrible at the time. Stroman's been okay. He's been like a I don't know, an SP4 or an SP3 for fantasy purposes. But Chris Bryant's been like an MVP candidate and now is about to pick up his fifth position uh for multi-position eligibility, so that's just an unfortunate one for Eddie. But that was my honorable mention for the bad. The ugly. Jake, we'll let you go first so that you don't get sniped this time. Yeah, you guys back off. I'm a... All right, so my, my pick for the ugly is the very first trade of the year. Damn it. You sniped me. <laughs> you also sniped uh, me. Yeah, Nate, I, I don't know if there's another pick for this one. Uh, Nate gives up Chris Sale, Mike Clevenger, and um, Pablo Lopez. Nick gives up Luis Castillo and Marcelo Zuna. It's it's hard to imagine a trade for two early round picks like this ending up being so poorly. And really, Nate, like you you, you can't 
predict that that's going to happen. So you, you can't, I, I don't know that there's really much to do besides just throw your hands up about that one. But part of it is, I know that I, I think that Nate, you're probably, you're probably the best trader in our league. I think that's really your, your biggest strong suit as a fantasy player. So part of it is how much I think you could have gotten for the guys that you gave up. And you really, at the time you did, that was a fine package and everything. I think that Luis Castillo and Marcelo Zuna for what we thought that they were, that's, that's perfectly fine for what you gave up, but it's just what they turned into. I, you, you can't predict how bad they were going to be. I mean, Luis Castillo forgot how to pitch and then you have Marcelo Zuna, who's, I think he's in jail now. For strangling his wife. Yeah. Probably not going to come back the rest of the year, but it's just, it's hard to see a trade with those names in it ending up this poorly. I, I, I feel for you. Yeah, it's a rough one. It's a rough one. Mike, do you have any honorable mentions? Cause I actually do have one honorable mention figuring that somebody was going to take this one. Um, I mean, yeah, that was definitely my pick. I didn't really write down honorable mention, but I guess one that I was thinking of in my head was the one between me and you, Nate. The, yep, um, that's my honorable mention. Clint Frazier Trent, and Nick Anderson for Trent Grisham. Yeah, Gosh, that I, one turned out brutal about a week after it, it was accepted. I think I, both were on the yeah, way to the wire. We won't get into too much detail, but I was definitely hesitant on making the trade. Um, I wanted a relief pitcher, no, no doubt about it. And I know Anderson had a great year last year. And I I anticipated my team being in a playoff contention throughout the year, which it is. But, I mean, who knows when Anderson comes back. And Clint Frazier, he just fell right off a cliff. And I could have had Trent Grisham. I mean, granted, he is on the IL. But if I could go back, I would every day of the week. Yeah, that's that's another one that, I mean, I don't want to say you can't predict because Clint Frazier never, I guess, had a track record. Everybody just thought that playing time was the missing piece. And Jake and I might be the biggest culprits of building up Clint Frazier's value. You know, we both talked about him as being a pick that we really liked coming out of the draft. Of course, he was on my team. I really thought (laughs) that Clint Frazier was going to be good. I have him in, in our dynasty league. I still think that he can be good in the future, but yeah, he's just, he's just not well, a I, rosterable player this year. In no, redraft. I mean, but at, at the same time, anytime you trade for a guy that's on a high power team, you know, like the Yankees, Boston, who's great offense. I mean, you're, you're taking on that upside as well, but damn, man, he's just, well, the Yankees have actually been good. one of the worst teams, one of the worst offensive lineups in baseball this year. I know it's, it's, Great. That's it's a big strategy of mine with fantasy is I like to take guys that are all in good teams, whether that's football, basketball, baseball, it doesn't matter. But yeah, he's he's not good. He's poop. It happens. One of these ugly trades, I got you know the the short end of the stick. The other one, I I was the beneficiary. Ugly trades happen yeah. to the best of us. Is the yeah. uh, is the larger moral of the story here, but. Let's get into one of my favorite segments. It's called Player A or Player B. I'm going to let these guys in on some stats between two anonymous players. They're going to tell me which they prefer. 
and uh, they'll give me their thoughts once I reveal the identities. So I actually went with two pairs of starting pitchers this week. I was looking at the hitters to try to find some batters of the same position that, you know, one was not so obvious at the top while there was a proven stud at the top alongside of him. I don't know. I feel like when you try to stack hitters up against one another, there's always a clear option that comes out. Whereas pitching, it can be a little bit more interesting because there's so many things that compose a pitcher's performance on the season. Right. So that's why I chose pitchers this week for both sets of players. But let's jump into the first set player a, uh, in, in 12 starts this season, this pitcher holds a record of four and two with six, no decisions has recorded seven quality starts. He has thrown 69 and two thirds innings pitched as a 3.36 ERA, a 1.234 whip and holds a solid 70, 70 to 16 strikeouts to walks. He is averaging 14.21 points per game. Looking under the hood for this pitcher, he ranks 29th among starting pitchers with an 18.8 strikeout to walk percentage. He holds an expected FIP, I don't know why I always say that, XFIP of 3.54, an expected weighted on base average of 3.9, or sorry, 0.394, and sports a Sierra of 3.72. Man, that was a lot to spit out. Sorry for fumbling my way through that. But the second pitcher, player B, who also has 12 starts this season, holds a record of six and two with four no decisions. He has recorded three quality starts. He has thrown 70 and one-third innings. He has a 3.58 ERA, a 1.109 whip. He holds a solid 73 to 19 strikeouts to walks. He is averaging 14 points per game. And looking at the advanced metrics for this pitcher, he ranks 27th among starting pitchers with a 19% strikeout to walk percentage. He holds an XFIP of 3.48, an XWOBA of 0.412, and Sports A Sierra of 3.66. So to give you the rundown, player A has the worst record, but more quality starts. He has a better ERA, but a worse whip. They have both around the same strikeout to walk ratio, both averaging around the same points per game. Um, both have a similar strikeout to walk percentage while player B has a better XFIP in Sierra and player A has a better expected weighted on base average. So all that being said, that's a lot to throw out. Talk me through Jake, which player you'd rather have between player A and player B. Okay. So this looks like it's kind of split in Harris here. Um, ERA estimators, they're pretty similar, almost the same. Uh, the strikeout to walk ratio, there's not not enough to differ- differentiate there. I think I'm going to go, and this is a really close one. I think I'm going to go with player A. And my reasoning why is even though that the whip is higher for player A, uh, the error is higher for player B. So I'm thinking perhaps player B struggles with keeping the ball in the ballpark. Um. The wins, I, I don't give a whole lot of. I don't give a whole lot of credit to. These are close enough that I think that that's really that's purely speculation. But sure, I think I'm going to give. I think I'm going to give the edge to player A in that regard. Mike. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Jake. Um, 
whenever I draft pitchers, and I'm definitely no expert, but I do value a lower uh, ERA, and player A has the lowest one. Still a solid record. Um, quality starts, seven of them. So, I mean, he's getting the volume as well. So I'm going to go with player A. Yeah, and I think when I was kind of writing this one up, you know, usually when you look at the advanced metrics, that's where the separation lies. Um, you can kind of see maybe one guy is overperforming, whereas the other guy seems like his underlying metrics line up with the actual surface level production. These guys are basically the same. So I think what where the difference lay with these two was the quality starts specifically. Uh, a quality start, which I think I've mentioned before, is six innings pitched with three earned runs or less. Uh, I think anytime that happens, it just goes to show that, you know, the guy performed well in that start over a pretty good length of the game. And if you're able to do that more often than not, which player A has in seven of 12, whereas player B has only done it in three of 12, I think that that's going to give you more long-term success over a full season. Again, advanced metrics are more helpful and kind of looking at you know, is a pitcher going to succeed? What has gone into a pitcher success so far? But when they're basically the same, you almost have to kind of defer back to the surface level stats. And, and the story that these two are telling me is that player A is, is able to, to kind of go deeper into games with more success on a consistent basis. Any guess as to who these players are? This is a tough one because it is splitting hairs, like you said, Jake. I'll give you first hint is that player A is starting pitcher 26 overall. And player B is starting pitcher twenty-seven overall. Any guesses from either? Really don't. I really don't know either one, but it feels like one of these should be Tyler Malley. Incorrect. Oh man, Mike. Any guesses before I give you another hint? Um, man, I haven't really paid attention to records or anything. I really just look at the, you know, the numbers. But is Hinchin Ryu, one of them? Well, that's another he, good guess. He is not. Uh, the first hint that would, you guys have, or this, I should say the second hint that you guys get, is that one of these guys pitches in the AL West, the other one pitches in the AL Central. And if you don't get it with this, if you don't get at least one of them with the with this hint, I will just let you know who they are. Is, is one of them Jose Barreos? Yes, player B is Jose Barrios. So you guys both chose player A over Jose Barrios. And that would rule out the AL Central, which means that player A pitches in the AL West. Can you guys put your brains together and come up with who you chose over Jose Barrios? Okay, so right off the top, I'm not thinking that any of the Astros starters have this kind of volume. But I'm not positive. I'll confirm that. Okay. So... I don't think it's Kyle Gibson either because he missed time. Although he's been very good this year. He has been, yeah, he, is, he has been very good. Um, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Uh, it's, not, it's not anybody from the Angels. Uh, yeah, absolutely not. Okay. So let's see here. It's probably – It has to be the athletics. It's not Kikuchi. No. Yeah, Jake's right. It's not Kikuchi. It it's has to be the order, athletics. So. Narrowed it is down it, to the it, right team. Is it team. Sean Manaya? It is Sean Manaya. All right. So you guys right now Mike, look at us go. Would rather oh. have Sean Manaya than Jose Barrios. I thought those two are an interesting comparison. 
both have been performing nearly identically. Um, but the numbers tell the story. Manaya has been good for real this year. Jose Barrios has kind of been who he always has been, which is a, is a good pitcher. He's not an ace, uh, like a, an SP one caliber ace, I should say, but he is a very good pitcher. He'll provide volume. He will provide consistent ratios with a sub four ERA, a sub one, two, five whip. Um, he is as advertised in other words, but yeah, those two are very close. Uh, and the next pair of players are just as close before you, before you go, I just wanted to see, I was correct on the, the home run thing. I just wanted to verify. I just wanted to quickly verify that. Barrios, he's been struggling to keep it in the yard. He hasn't been struggling to keep it in the yard. He's about one home run per nine, but Manaya is down to, uh, 0.9 home runs per nine. So he is doing a better job. Well, there you go. Jake knows his stuff. The second pair of pitchers, uh, they each have 12 starts as well. Player A holds a record of four and two with six no decisions. He has recorded four quality starts. He's thrown 61 and two thirds innings. He has a 3.36 ERA, a 1.297 whip. He holds a 78 to 28 strikeout to walk ratio, and he is averaging 12.96 fantasy points per game. And looking under the hood, he ranks 38th among starting pitchers with a 17.2% strikeout to walk percentage. He holds an XFIP of 3.98, an expected weighted on base average of 0.353, and he sports a skills indicative ERA of 4.03. Player B has a record of four and four with four no decisions. He has recorded six quality starts, has pitched 70 and one third innings. He has a 3.84 ERA, a 1.166 whip, a solid 78 to 15 strikeout to walk ratio, and is averaging 12.92 points per game. And looking at player B's advanced metrics, he ranks 18th among starting pitchers with a 21.6 strikeout to walk percentage. He holds an XFIP of 3.57 and expected weighted on base average of 0.371 and sports a Sierra of 3.45. So basically it looks like on the surface that player a has the better stats minus whip because he Kind of has, I guess, you could say control issues with 28 walks as opposed to player B's 15. And they both have the same amount of strikeouts at 78. And it looks like player B has the better advanced metrics outside of expected weighted on base average. Um, he's a lot better with strikeout to walk percentage. His XFIP is nearly half a run lower. Same thing with the Sierra. It's over half a run lower. Uh, so you basically got... Again, I, I mentioned with the last one that usually you can tell when one pitcher is overperforming with the better surface level stats, but the worst underlying metrics, which is what we are kind of seeing here. Uh, that wasn't the case with the last one. But even still, I will ask you guys, who would you rather have, player A or player B? Mike, I'll let you go first. Um, that's tough. <laughs> change it up this time i'm gonna go player b just because i just because it the fancy numbers that you all just said they sound better 
like I said, I am not an expert at this when it comes to advanced stats, but it seems to me, I mean, if he's 18th ranked versus 38th ranked, I'm going to take the higher ranked pitcher. Hey, there you go. Sometimes you just got to keep it as simple as that. Jake, where are you at with these two? Uh, I think I know who player B is. That's who I would take anyway. It's just looking at these numbers. Uh, more innings, that's going to equal more volume. Uh, he has a much higher strikeout to walk percentage. It looks to me like player A struggles with control, so he maybe he's volatile. The whip is quite a bit higher than I would like for player A. Um, and really just the advanced stats for player B are pretty, pretty decently better than the ones for player A. So I would go with player B. Okay. Uh, I know you said you think you know who player B is. I'll say that these pitchers are starting pitcher 35 and 36 overall. Player A is starting pitcher 35. Player B is starting pitcher 36. Who is player B, Jake? Player B is a player that I have on my dynasty team, Aaron Nola. That is correct. And who would be the guy that is outperforming him so far but has control issues? I don't know. <laughs> I'll give you uh, your first Mike unless you have a, a, a hunch on who it is I'll give you your first hint I really don't pitches in the AL Central just like oh, Mike we can do that we can do this AL uh, Central all right well there is one that comes to mind that has control issues in the it is probably Central. who you're thinking is it Dylan Cease it is Dylan Cease Oof. so Mike and Jake would both rather have Aaron Nola than Dylan Cease. I would agree. I think that despite the ERA being half a run lower, uh, the expected stats seem to paint the opposite picture. And Aaron Nola just has a proven track record of being an ace. Mentioned earlier that I think he's still going to live up to being a first-round talent. Uh, Jerwin got him in return for Corbin Burns as part of that deal. I think he's going to live up to what Jerwin hopes he will be. So that is player A or player B. Jake, I think you got some spicy content coming up for us on this segment. Give us your standout player of the week. Yeah, strap in, fellas. We're going to have a discussion about this one, and that is my player of the week is Jared Kelnick, who went 0 for 18 this week with 12 strikeouts. That equaled negative 5 fantasy points. Uh, this continued a streak where he went 0 for 39 at the dish. Uh, and that's only eight more hitless at bats away from tying the record set by Chris Davis. Uh, the stats on the year really don't look any better. He's currently has a triple slash of 096, 185, 193. Is that I hate good? to say it, but uh, that's pretty bad. Pretty <laughs> bad, Cotton. Uh, and the worst part is he's not getting unlucky. His slash line is earned. He's not hitting the ball hard. He's striking out a ton. I got to watch some of his at bats. He just looks overmatched. He looks lost. There's lots of bad swings. Just today, he was optioned back to AAA. Now, normally, that's where I would cut off this topic, but I wanted to continue a little bit. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of state my case on this, and then I'll give you guys a chance to respond. And before I begin, I do think that I can kind of speak freely on this. I am rostering a prospect myself in Videl Brujan. So I'm not just kind of trying to trash everybody else if they have a prospect. I myself have one as well. Uh, 
so I think really it's exciting to think that a prospect can kind of turn into the next Acuna or Tatis, who are arguably the two best keepers we've had in this league. I think we tend to view these top prospects, though, kind of as automatic great keepers and impact players who will be great upon arrival. Uh, we remember the guys like Acuna and Tatis because they are the ones who worked out. But more often than not, top prospects don't turn into impact players right away. In 2021, so far this year, rookie hitters are slashing 214, 288, 354, which is pretty bad. They're striking out 28.2% of the time. Rookie pitchers have so far thrown to a 4.71 ERA. Uh, and I kind of looked into this to see, okay, is this getting better? Is it getting worse? Is this kind of just par for the course? Uh, rookies as a whole have been performing worse, and it's kind of a trend over year after year. Uh, the slash line's getting worse. Strikeouts have gone up for hitters, while ERA has increased for pitchers over the over the last few years. So really, it looks like the jump between the minors and the majors is only getting wider. And it's getting more difficult for uh, prospects to make the adjustments. Uh, now in Dynasty, I don't think this is too much of a problem, but in our league where you only have three years of control for a prospect to be a great keeper, I really think they need to be good right away, like a Tatis or an Acuna who came up and hit right, right away. Uh, and for the vast majority of elite prospects, though, I think that there is kind of an adjustment period, and those two were sort of the, the outliers rather than the, rather than the rule. I think as a league, we really – and really, the fantasy community as a whole tends to overrate prospects quite a bit. Uh, it is kind of exciting to think of a potential that they might have as an impact player. But more likely, I think that they're going to struggle upon hitting the majors. Really, I think it's more appropriate than ever to call them a lottery ticket because the odds of them hitting are not very good. Uh, it's a case-by-case -case basis, but 90% of the time, for me personally, I'll take an established guy all day as a keeper over a prospect. And I think that's the route that anyone should be trying to go uh, if they're planning a rebuild, trying to build around established players rather than prospects. So since I've kind of monologued for a little bit, I'll, I'll sort of throw it over to you guys. What are your thoughts on this? Am um, I kind of taking it too far with this? And then my second question would be, does seeing the prospects struggle this year, sort of like a, a, or a Kelnick who we kind of viewed as the cream of the crop when it comes to prospects, does that change your opinion on how to value prospects as potential keepers? So I'll just kind of throw it over to you guys to get your thoughts on that. I'll jump in first, Mike. I don't think that you're wrong at all, Jake. Um, the way that I see this is kind of the way that I see things that don't necessarily relate to fantasy sports, like day trading in stocks or going to the casino and gambling. You, you see the success stories, which in fantasy you mentioned are Tatis, Acuna. This year, the rookies are Trevor Rogers, Cabrian Hayes. You see those huge hits, and there's just something about human nature that makes you crave to have one of those hits yourself, right? And, and the same can be said of investing. The same can be said of going to the casino and gambling, there's just this thirst, this hunger, this FOMO, if you will, the fear of missing out. If you don't get one yourself, then you're never going to have that major success story that somebody else had with Ronald Acuna Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., Cabrian Hayes, Trevor Rogers. 
And so I think that that's what keeps our league as a whole coming back to the prospect pond and drinking from it. Uh, so I, I don't think that your opinion is wrong, but I also don't think that your opinion is going to, is going to overtake the majority of the league. I think that everybody is still, I don't want to say everybody. I think there's always going to be a healthy portion of teams in our league that are taking shots on prospects um, in the draft, as well as adding them as soon as they're called up and, and burning, you know, a struggling guy on their team to try to get the lottery ticket that might perform and be the rookie of the year because of, because of that chase quote unquote. And, and for your question about how to value them as keepers or value them in trading, I'm actually going to talk more on the side of valuing them in terms of trading, right? Because we are in a keeper league, so it is totally fair to, to set your, your barometer of value for all players in terms of how long will they service your team. So I think it's fair to, to look at everything through a keeper lens. You mentioned earlier that one of the biggest skills that I bring to the table as a player is trading. So I think inherently for me, I always look at players in terms of valuing them through the lens of what would they go for in a trade? What would I pay for them if they're not on my team? Or if they're on my team, what would I try to fish out to get for them? And I think for me, I can always go back to the well knowing that for the very best of the best prospects that are super hyped up because everyone in the fantasy community does it. Like you mentioned, Jake, it's not just like in our league, everybody in the fantasy community loves their upcoming hot young talent. I think I'll always be able to go, not just me personally, but, but people in our league that own the top prospects, if they want to, will always be able to go to the well and get a good return for those guys because of what they might become. They'll always be able to get somebody to bite on quote unquote, the chase. So I don't know that they're, you know, I think you have a, a very solid argument that they usually do not turn into good keepers. I don't think it's going to diminish their trade value year to year uh, just because you do see those big hits every single year. That's, that's kind of where I stand on the whole thing. Mike, what do you got? I mean, yeah, you guys kind of hit it uh, out of the ballpark on that one. Um, I think, listen, I mean, you can ask anybody in our league, any league, if they had the shot to get a Fernando Tatis or Ronald Acuna at the value that, you know, they have a thousand times out of a thousand times, everybody's going to bite on it, right? Even, like, look at Vlad Guerrero. I mean, he might not have that same keep value, but you look at these three-year trends, everybody wants to have that guy that can, you know, they're that next up-and-coming young superstar. Um, my, myself included, I just picked up Joe Adele like a week or two ago because with Charlotte's injury, the Angels aren't going anywhere. I mean, there's that talk that he might come up. So, you know, Alec Manoa, um, I think what JC just picked up, uh, Jackson Cower. Yep. So everybody wants to get that chance to get that guy, that Fernando Tatis, that Ronald Acuna. Um, We're even leaving out two guys that Jake drafted, I think, two years ago. You got both Paddock and Alonzo before they had ever debuted because they had a hot spring training, and then they turned into rookie superstar sensations, Jake. I remember that. Both were on your team. 
But go ahead, Mike. I mean, it. No, it it, it happens. Sometimes you hit, and sometimes you hit really good. I mean, Fernando Tatis. I mean, yes, granted, you know, Nate, like you said about trading these young prospects. You know, Fernando Tatis for me is like the big centerpiece for me, and it's really great to have that value. But does it happen all the time? No, absolutely not. And I think now, Jake, how you were mentioning the struggles of these young hitters, I think they're now entering. And I kind of briefly talked about this a little bit a couple of days ago in the group chat. These young hitters are entering a time in the MLB with, you know, the foreign substances with the pitchers, whatever they're using. I mean, the I don't know a whole ton about it, but I think they're diving in a pool full of sharks with these pitchers. I mean, uh, Trevor Bauer, you look at how he's been just – every single year getting better, whether it's through substance or not. Everybody's spin rates are going up. The velocity is staying the same, but the spin rates are crazy. I mean, these young hitters are going up against pitchers in the minors that most of the time might not make it. So now you're entering in a league where it's like, shit, okay, these are big boys. And that's that's going anywhere from college sports to pro sports. But I think – it's about time for young hitters, potentially outside of the big time guys. You know, time will tell if Kalanick can get it back together, if Wander Franco can ever, ever make an appearance. But you look at Nick, I mean, if Wander Franco doesn't play at all this year, that's a whole year wasted. And then now next year you're spending, I think it's what, a seventh round keep for a guy that still hasn't made an MLB appearance. I think but at the same nice. time, okay. But at the same time, Nick's going to take that risk because it's Juan Franco because he's been the coveted, massive, big-time prospect. So do I anticipate any change in our league? No. I, I still think you're still going to see a good amount of prospects being drafted. But it is something to look at, and I think it's something that there has to be a little bit more research and studying as a team owner – to make sure that you get the right guy. And he still might not even be the right guy. So, yeah. All right, one more thing, for, I guess, yeah. from my – I guess I'm speaking more to trades and drafting rather than picking up on free – picking up these guys via free agency yeah. because – I mean, I picked up point, those guys on free agent, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because at that point, you're getting them for free, basically free, and you're not giving up anything. In the, in the context of trading – I think that a lot of times when we see the we see prospects get moved, it seems like we're the people buying them are buying them as if they've already made it, or as if they are probably at the the player that they would be at their ceiling. So I guess in the context of trading, do you guys think that given this kind of perceived value of these prospects before they even show anything at all? Uh, is it better to trade these guys before they even debut? Yes. Uh, the day that they are called up is the best day to trade them, as yes, evidenced by me trading Kalinic. Not that I've gotten I've... the world being lit on fire from the guys that I got for him, as we've already discussed, but I think anyone would agree that that was probably the best package I could have hoped for the day that, that Kalinic received the call. So I I am of the mindset that 
if I am Nick and I have Wonder Franco and news pops up onto my feed tomorrow, Wonder Franco expected to be called up by the Rays ahead of Tuesday's game. I am fielding every offer I can that night, seeing what I can get. And chances are somebody's going to back up the truck and give you a haul. So I think the day that they're called up, that's, I think that for redraft, for keeper leagues, for dynasty leagues, that is when, unless you have a transcendent talent like Acuna, like Tatis, like Soto, but those are three of hundreds. There can only be five top five players in baseball. There can only be 10 top 10 players in baseball. So unless you believe that that player is going to turn into a top five player in baseball, and really you might not even have the time to wait for that in a keeper league, but like talking about in dynasty specifically, then the best, the best time to trade a prospect is the day that they're called up. And I agree with, I agree with that. So that's a, that's all. Those are all my thoughts for uh, for that. Thanks for bearing with me. That was the longer segment than uh, than I'm sure that we we thought of when we put put it together. But I thought it was a with the news about uh, I don't Kelnick, know if I'm coming out or with the news about Kelnick getting sent back down. I thought that was kind of an appropriate discussion to have uh, on the podcast today. Sure. Our matchup preview, looking ahead to week 10, best matchup, I have Jake's fantasy baseball team versus JC, I guess maybe temporarily rebranded as JC hashtag $50 by 2023, trying to get that league buy-in up. I thought that this one was a pretty obvious choice for best matchup as for the first time all season after the dust has settled. JC has his chance to make his own luck and pass Jake in the standings for first place in the in the division. And this one might be a candidate for my personal favorite for best matchup of the season so far. I know we talk about Courtney and Jake quite a bit as being the clear top two teams this year, which they have been so far. But I really think that JC's roster is as good as both and may have an edge over at least one of those two teams in depth. So stay tuned for my pick in this spicy matchup. Jake, who did you have for, or who do you have for best matchup this coming week? I had the same one because it was, it was a really fun matchup the first time it was close. I expect something really similar here and it's potentially for first place in the division. So you always got to, you got, you got to love to see that too. Mike, what do you have for best matchup? Yep, I'm piggybacking right off you guys. Uh, not a whole lot of big marquee matchups like we had last week, but I think this is the matchup, 100%. Two powerhouse teams. Um, I'll get into a little bit more whenever I make my prediction, but yeah, I think this is definitely the best matchup for sure. Cool. Worst matchup, I have Team No Name versus Team Positivity. I'm sure nobody is shocked by that. As I mentioned earlier, Team Positivity looks like a brand new addition to the band of legitimate competitors in our league, whereas Scott is clearly aiming for 2022 in a pretty extreme way. I don't expect this matchup to be particularly close, and I am actually going to predict that this is the turning point in Jerwin's season 
where he matches or bests at least one top three team in his division each week, or let's say eight of the next 10 weeks. So I'm going to say that he performs better in total record than at least one of the top three teams in his own division 80% of the next two and a half months. So keep the positive vibes rolling, Jerry. This week should be what I expect a breeze for you to get that 2-0 win. Mike, what do you have for the worst matchup? Eddie, I love you, but I'm coming to kick your ass this week. Um, <laughs> all jokes aside, Eddie, um, I think, don't get me wrong, he had a great week against me, but it wasn't as if my team underperformed. I did have the second highest scoring. Uh, I made a few moves along the way. Uh, my team's fully healthy outside of Zach Gowan, which, I mean, I haven't had him on my team yet, so I don't know how that looks. Um, I think... As a whole, I think my team's just going to overpower them. The offense, like I said, it's more of just my team's healthy. And I had a pretty rough week last week. I don't like having two bad weeks in a row. So I'm going to pull out all the cards on you. I love you, Eddie. You're my boy, but coming for you. He's going to give you, you a good old ba- Texas ass you, kick and drag you out of the back of the bar this week. You, you beat me in basketball. You beat me in a stunner in baseball. I think you beat me in football, too. I think – I'm not 100% sure, but I think you might have been the one knocked me out of football. So this is a little little personal vendetta. So we'll see. Yeah, that's a, that's a good pick for worst matchup. Jake, what did you have? All right, so my worst matchup is Nick versus Jordan, and this comes down to the – Nick is coming into this game as a 42.28 point favorite. Nick is also undefeated when covering the spread. So uh, with a spread that large, I really can't expect this game to be close. Nick is going to blow out Jordan this week because Nick just covers spreads like it's his job. And that's what he does. Seeing a little thunder from Jordan's sports book. I like it. All right. Matchup predictions. So after last week, my overall record on the season is 27 and 15. Jake's record is 21 and 15. Jordan's record is six and six. Jerwin's record is seven and five. And Mike, of course, your record is zero and zero. You haven't made your predictions yet this season on our podcast. So we'll get your picks here this week. First matchup, number one contender versus weak pullout hitter. I have Number one contender winning this matchup. Surprise, surprise. Mike, who do you have winning this one? Yeah, I mean, I think Sam continued to have a strong team through his pitching, um, Corbin Burns. But, Nate, I know you well enough in fantasy. I've done you, I've done fantasy with you for however many years. I don't know you to be the guy that goes on losing streaks. Um I think you pulled off. It could end up being somewhat close, but I think like our matchup that we just had two weeks ago, I think you come away pretty comfortably with the lead. Jake? Uh, we saw Sam do it once, but I want to I wanna see him do it again where he's going to score highly again despite selling off his team. I'm picking Nate in this one. So we're all in agreement there. The second matchup of the week 
the Soto Shuffle versus Team C Deemer, I just there's certain things that we just can't can't quit in life. And Brendan's team is one of those things for me. I can't quit picking Brendan to win his weekly matchups. And that's who I have winning this week, the Soto Shuffle. Jake, who do you have? So I originally was going to pick Brendan, and then I remembered that I picked Courtney in the sports book. So I didn't want to go against that. So I'm going to go with Courtney for this one. Mike? Uh, it's really hard to pick up, pick against Courtney. Um, she's beating strong teams. Sure. Um, I think she she has had a few stinkers throughout the season, against myself included. So I'm looking forward to our rematch. But I think she pulls it off again this week um, pretty comfortably. And maybe this is the trap game for her after uh, after the big it could win last be. week. It, it, I, I didn't look too much in her season or anything, but I did notice that games that she should have won it didn't work out in her favor, but I think she pulls it off again. Yeah, this has Mike Tomlin trap game written all over it. Our third matchup of the week, Team No Name versus Team Positivity. I alluded that Jaron was going to be my pick for the winner in this matchup in our previous segment. Do you guys have a different winner for this matchup? Mike, I'll ask you first. Ah, man. My uncle does have a temper, but I just... Jerry made some good moves. And I think he's going to be swimming in the pool of positivity this week for sure. So I got Jerry winning pretty, pretty comfortably. Jake. Yeah. Jerry keeps the positive vibes rolling this week. I think that he, he wins, like Mike said, pretty comfortably this week. Would agree. Uh, Next matchup we have gone forever versus big money. Mike, I am, like I said earlier, predicting a Texas sized ass whooping from big money. Mike. Jake, who do you got in this matchup? I think Mike finally gets revenge for all those other losses. I'm picking Mike. And Mike? Yeah, I'm picking myself. It's pretty simple. Bias. I love you, Eddie. I love you. Hey, (laughs) I love you, Eddie, but Eddie has given me so many damn hard losses that I'm pulling the guns out this week. Mike, if you tell Eddie you love him one more time, I might have to call you sus. Okay. <laughs> Our uh, next matchup of the week, my best matchup, Jake's fantasy baseball team versus JC hashtag fifty dollars by twenty twenty three. Hey, I'm with the campaign. I love the rebrand, JC, but I have to go with Jake in this matchup. I was looking at the number of starts. I think in JC's best case scenario, he has eight, and that's if he throws pitchers that I would not necessarily have confidence in throwing. Uh, and in Jake's comfortable scenario i want to say you have nine does that sound right jake uh i benched weathers for kimbrel so okay. i might want to well, subtract two from i that. actually feel better about that yeah i do too because so, i don't think he's going to get both starts because the padres have currently are rolling out a six-man rotation yeah that actually makes me feel better about my pick so i'm going with jake's fantasy baseball team mike who do you got in this matchup yeah, I mean, this is going to be a great matchup. I think it's going to come down to probably last day. But I will say, Jake, uh, when I beat you, JC personally texted me. And I texted him actually yesterday. I said, you wanted me to say anything to Jake while I'm on? He goes, nah, don't worry about it. 
But besides that, he texted me when me and you played. He's like, dude, thank you so much for beating Jake. That really helps me out. <laughs> so, so what that tells me is JC's not looking to be a second seed, a third seed. He's looking to be the top seed. The top dog. The top dog. I think it's going to be really close. It might come down to Jake's newly acquired Walker Bueller. But I'm pulling the upset. I'm sorry, Jake, but I think JC's going to pull off the upset. Let's go. He was a little, he was a little upset when he lost you. And he, t- he texted me before me and you played. He goes, you better come. And sorry for my language, but he said, you better go and kick Jake's ass. <laughs> so Jake, Jake you I, feel flattered by how, uh, how aggressive JC is about opposing JC's you. Not look, he's, he's, he's not, lo- he's not looking to be that second, third seed. So it, like I said, it's going to be really close. It could com- come down to like that matchup with me and you, Nate, our first one. But just a few points, but I think JC slightly pulls it off. Jake, I didn't realize there was. Uh, I didn't realize there was so much heat between us. My goodness, I don't think there was heat, but he was just really. <laughs> no, I know. He, he Jake, was, he what was just, you have, what you have to understand is, you and Courtney are the only two champions in our four four year league history. So the rest of us that have been nipping at your heels, finishing in the top four every single year behind you guys. There is a deep, high level of heat between us and the two of you. You may not know it, but behind closed doors, there is a high level of heat between those of us who haven't made it up to that top spot on the podium and those two of you that have. I guess when you, it sounds nicer when you phrase it that way. Hey, but just, I, I, just, I, remember, just remember, I'm 4-0 against both of you. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, I'm going to take JC in this one. I think that um, I almost switched my pick whenever I saw whenever my Kimbrel trade went through because I saw I could I could definitely see the weather's uh, that being a kind of a weak point this week. But yeah, it was it was the close it was the closest it was one of the closer matchups the first time, and I think it's going to be another close one this time. And I'll I'll give JC the nod that he'll he'll pull it off this week. I'm like the the big brother. Like, yeah, I'll I'll let him I'll let him win one. It's fine by me. I'm not gonna let him <laughs> win one. But <laughs> I like it. Uh, last matchup of the week: Kenny Ross Mercedes versus Pine Run Market. I have Pine Run Market winning this one pretty comfortably. Jake, I think you mentioned that you did as well. Oh yeah, this one's gonna be a blowout because Nick just can't not cover the spread. And Mike. Oh man, me against the world. I think what Nick's done to his team, especially his first year, has been outstanding. Going from buying keepers to selling keepers to now having a great team. But there's one player that Jordan has. I, I noticed that I think they each got one, what, two, one, two start pitcher. I know Jordan's got glass now. I can't remember which one Nick has. But I think at that point, I'm taking Glasnow on a two-start. I think Jordy's going to pull off the upset. Taking a few upsets this week. I like it. I will say, though, Yelich looks like he's getting back to form. 
and if Bellinger heats up, it's game over. Nick wins this easily. But I think Jordan's going to pull it off. Sure. Well, that brings us to our around the league portion of the podcast. Jake, take it away with your league history fact of the week. All right, so we've had several close matchups this week. Uh, me and Courtney, we finished 3.6 points apart. And Jerowin versus Sam, that finished 6.1 points apart. But that was one point uh, going into the elite Glaber's last at bat. Although both of these matchups were close, they were not the closest ones we've ever had. That record belongs that, – that record is actually tied between two matchups – and those were Nate versus Keela in week one of 2017 and Courtney versus Jerwin in week seven of 2018. And the differential in those games was only 2.2 points. Am I remembering incorrectly or wasn't Giancarlo Stanton? Uh, the, you remember the famous story. I was down to Jordan going into Sunday night baseball. I didn't have any players left. He just had Stanton. I needed a golden sombrero from Stanton to win the matchup. Stanton got the golden sombrero. Okay, so what I think happened there, because I did do, when I was looking at this stat, I did do some digging. The only thing I can think of is maybe there was a stat correction that pushed the gap further apart. Sure. Gotcha. Because that that's one of my favorite stories. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. At the time... You needed the golden sombrero. You got the golden sombrero. Yeah, absolutely was, right. I remember that happening. So the only thing looking back that I can find, because I can't actually go into the ba- into the box scores, right. look at old stat corrections when I was gathering this information. So what I can think, what I think happened was there was probably a stat correction because even that, like that matchup's not that far behind these ones. Mm-hmm. So I think that there might have been something, maybe like an like an earned run or, an, or just a an unearned run turned into an earned run or vice versa, something like that. A Chris Paddock esque stat correction, not quite that bad, but in the same <laughs> in the same vein, yeah. Sure. Cool. That's a that's a good uh, good fact of the week or this week in league history. Jordy the General is back with week five of the war- the weekly sports book. Take it away, Jordan. All right, everyone, we are back for another week of the sports book. Uh, I am completely distraught, mainly at Big Money Mike. My man completely screwed me over last week, cost me, single-handedly cost me two of my locks with his completely awful showing of scoring 169 points. I had him as my favorite against Nick. I, I should have known better than to go against Nick as an underdog. Uh, His terrible performance cost me the over. So I had a losing week for the first time, and I think that I'm a terrible gambler now. Do not ride with me. Do not listen to me because clearly I give losers on this show. Um, I'm going to preview Mike's matchup, actually. Minus 48 against Eddie. Total 469 points. Last time these two teams played, Eddie had his best week of the season, scoring number one in the league with 308 points in their week five matchup. Uh, The over hit pretty easily, and Eddie covered as a 37-point underdog. He's a 48-point underdog this week. Can he do it against the Mike team? That was awful last week. I actually uh, I kind of like Mike in this one. I think that Mike's not someone to uh, 
to screw up two weeks in a row. So I think that he'll have a pretty bounce back week and cover this pretty big spread against Eddie. Have a stay away game, Courtney versus uh, Brendan. Courtney minus 22, total 462. Both of these teams have been relatively good against the spread so far this year. I, I don't feel comfortable taking either one of them. And both really have been inconsistent with the over. Neither one really getting into a groove in one way or the other. So I actually really just don't like the spread or the total in this one. I'm not confident in really any side of these. So I'm staying away from that one in my locks. 25 and 15, as I said, Big Money Mike, I hate you for screwing me over. First losing week, I'm a loser. And as you can tell, I am upset. But I'm still going to give locks on this show. And probably you should fade me because I'm now terrible at picking. And I'm on a, uh, a one-game losing streak. I have Jarwin, minus 40, as my favorite against Scott. Team positivity has positive mentality. And as long as Jarwin is positive, I'm positive. So I'm going to roll with Jarwin. Minus 40. My underdog, I feel dumb. I'm betting against Nick again. Jordan, myself, plus 43 points against Nick. I think Nick wins this one pretty easily, but I just think that 43 is a lot of points. I'm rolling with myself on this one. Probably will lose because I am not good against the spread and I'm not good against the overs and I'm very bad at hitting my projections. So Nick probably is going to cover that one, actually. Jake and Justin, over 500 points. This is actually the highest uh, total of the week. It's actually kind of surprising because most of these are pretty low. We have a couple, a lot of teams with an off with a couple off days this week. These two, you know, consistently put up uh, put up high amounts of points consistently towards the top of the uh, projected order and the actual order above the median every week. So I think that they should, theoretically, theoretically, they should hit this. Uh, but like I said, I... Uh, I'm I'm bad at this. I'm very bad at this. So maybe under is the move here. I don't know, but I'm taking the over. My under, I have Sam versus Nate under 469 points. Nate had a uh, tough week last week, not hitting the median. Besides this 12-start week a couple weeks ago, he's actually struggled to put up pretty consistent points in the last few weeks here. So I'm kind of nervous about if Nate's team can cover uh, spread here or or hit the over. In the last couple of weeks and Sam um, obviously Sam team has been fantastic the last couple of weeks. I think that he will fall back to earth. And so I'm taking under 469 points here, but as I've said before, Nate probably will, will become Nate again and put up 300 easily. And Sam probably will continue to roll and it'll go over 469. So median under it has not started losing consistently as I've been saying all year, but uh, this is probably the week that that changes. So maybe over is, is the move, but I'm taking the under. I'll probably come back with an 0-5 record, but I'm hoping for 5-0. and We'll see. I'm just nervous about that losing record here now, but I think that uh, maybe I can turn it around. I don't know, but I'm hoping that I'm hoping that Mike uh, learned his lesson, and I've learned my lesson about taking Mike as a lock. So, yeah, back to uh, back to you guys. That was Jordy the General's weekly sports book. Thank you, Jordan. Let's wrap up this long episode with some news and notes. Dylan Bundy, we talked about him earlier. He's been dealing with a foot issue, which may be hampering his control. Bundy is 0-6 with a 6.49 ERA, 53 strikeouts, 15 walks, and 12 homers allowed in 51 and a third innings pitched. Giving up homers was an issue for him with the Orioles. He served up a league-leading 41 in 2018 and 29 in 2019. 
but he seemed to correct that issue last year. Uh, this year, he's been dealing with a foot injury that could be hampering his ability to locate the ball. His strikeout and walk rate are similar to last year, but his home run rate has tripled. So it'll be about keeping the ball in the ballpark going forward for him to turn it around. I ask you both, do you guys expect a turnaround for Dylan Bundy? Was last year just a facade or does he fall somewhere in the middle? Jake, I'll ask you first. I, I never really bought into Bundy. So I, I don't really, I don't really see a turnaround to the extent that he was last year, but like the stats under the hood don't look nearly as bad as he is right now. It's basically a lot of it's everybody who gets on base is basically scoring against him is kind of the simple way to put it, but I don't think he'll be as bad as he is now. I definitely don't think he's as good as he was last year though. Mike. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with what Jake said. Um, I will make a side note. He should just get traded to the Dodgers. Be best buddies with Trevor Bauer. Use some of that substance. He'll be fine. No, I'm just joking. Hey, I don't know. I, I didn't actually include it as part of this news and notes, but it's certainly worthy of mentioning. I'm, I sent to, the, to our group chat that Trevor Bauer's spin rates on all of his pitches, especially the four-seam fastball, dropped way down in his last start after Major League Baseball announced that they are going to start enforcing foreign substance checks about eight to ten times per game here in the next few weeks. And the penalty for getting caught with foreign substances is a 10-game suspension for the player. So I can't say that that's a coincidence. Uh, It's not part of the news and notes here, but I do think it's worth mentioning. I don't know that Dylan Bundy uh, can fall back on foreign substances now that the league is, is apparently getting serious about cracking down on it. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'll save my rant on this for another time since this episode's already gone pretty long. <laughs> we'll be sure to get it in next week. Tariq Skubal has dropped his splitter and added a curveball. He has looked like a completely different pitcher since ditching that splitter that he honed during the offseason and last Sunday, he used his curveball as well as ever, adding a fourth weapon to complement an already solid fastball slider changeup combo. Scooble said, quote, it's a big change of pace. It's a lot slower, and it's almost like an auto take for the hitter or late swing for the most part. It's a big pitch to slow guys down when they're trying to be aggressive. And if they're trying to be aggressive, hopefully they swing later and ground out or pop out. I ask you guys, is this the beginning of the breakout that we've talked about for Tariq Skubal? Mike, what are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, it's definitely really cool to see him performing. That's why a big reason why I drafted him on the initial draft. Beginning of the breakout, I mean, we'll have to see if he can, you know, continue to do it. Um, We'll see. Jake? Oh, yeah, this is the beginning of the breakout. Oh this was the guy that I was talking about earlier in the earlier in the season. I'm very excited to see what he can do. Uh, I think this is it. I, I he, right now he's struggling a little bit with control, but I, I think that he can get, I think he can get that back. Uh, oh, not back. He never really had great control, but I, I think he can kind of rein that in and I'm really excited for him the rest of the season. I think maybe he can make it so that bold prediction doesn't look so bad. Any buyer's remorse for trading him for Blake Snell in our Dynasty League? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> to be determined. 
The second question I have uh, concerning Scooble is, could he be the best young pitcher in the Tigers organization that is better than both Casey Mize and Matt Manning? Uh, Mike, I'll ask you first. Uh, the potential is certainly there. I don't think he is right now. I think Casey Mize is starting to finally show his worth as that number one overall pick. What was it in 2018, I think? Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. But he's right there. I mean, a few more starts, a few more solid performances. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty easy – you know, he's definitely the better one there. Jake? As the Scooble guy, I definitely think that he is the best of the three. Uh, Manning has struggled a little bit this season. Uh, I think he's battling his control, and he's still not up yet. So there's always the, you know, can he make the jump? That thing we kind of alluded to earlier when we talked about that. But I kind of see Casey Mize. I've talked to Jordan a couple of times about this. I de- I'm definitely not as high on him as other people are. I don't think he doesn't really have a true off speed in his, in his arsenal. There's not a lot of differential between his pitches. A lot of them are just kind of different. Uh, well, I can't say different variations of the fastball, but they're all pretty much hard pitches. Uh, I kind of see Casey Mize as his ultimate ceiling is sort of what Jordan Zimmerman was when Jordan Zimmerman was good. I think he'll give you a lot of volume. I don't think he's going to give you a lot of strikeouts, though. Uh, whereas for Scooble, I think that he can be that guy who could give you the volume and the strikeouts. Uh, so I I do like Scooble. I do like Scooble's potential a good bit more than I think Mize and Manning. Sure. Moving on to another pitcher that you like enough to have traded for him this year, Jake. According to Twins manager Rocco Baldelli, Kenta Maeda has been pitching through arm soreness this season. Uh, The 2020 AL Cy Young Award runner-up has a 5.27 ERA through nine starts this year. And Baldelli said, quote, it's something that we want to make sure that we get rid of. We don't want to be looking at this for the next four months. Want to make sure that this is something that we're taking care of on this IL stint that we're able to shake off. Jake, I'll ask you, is this something that worries you for Maeda this season? Uh, I mean, I guess it's a little concerning, but he just threw a bullpen. He slated for a rehab assignment. I don't think that they would have, based on what Baldelli is saying, I don't think they would have done that. I don't think he would be this far along if this was still something that uh, could be an issue. Sure. Uh, I did want to ask, and I'll bring Mike in on this question as well. Compounding this news of soreness with Maeda's shaky injury history coming over from the Korean baseball organization, could a more serious arm injury spell the end of his success in the majors since he is already 33 years old? Mike, I'll toss that to you. Uh, yeah, so to answer that immediate question, no. I think Maeda still has good solid years left. I think you see the success that some of these older pitchers are having. Um, so, no, I don't think, you know, his end of his MLB career is in jeopardy. But – I think it is worrisome for the Twins. I know that coming into the season, the Twins were marketed as one of the top power teams, and they have been struggling this year. As far as I know, I don't know if they've been doing anything recently to kind of change that, but I'm sure that their window is right around now to compete, which means they're going to want their ace to be available. So I don't know. I mean, it really just depends on if 
Minnesota pushes Maeda to get back because they're going to need him to be able to get to that competitive level. So we'll see. I mean, I liked him at the Dodgers. I don't know if he can be the guy. He might be better as a second or third option on a really good team, but I think the talent's there. So who knows? They have their ace, Randy Dobnak with the handlebar mustache. Pittsburgh oh, yeah. kid. <laughs> no, but Jake, any concluding thoughts on Maeda? Uh, I mean, I guess to answer this question, I, I don't think a serious arm injury would spell the end of his success in the majors. Um, I guess in turn, I guess maybe, maybe he would go to being, he's never really been a guy who's going to give a lot of volume. But I guess maybe he, I think he could still be maybe a swing man or something like that. But I don't, maybe that would be the end of his temporary fantasy relevance if he, if he has to go down. Sure. And I, I don't think that arm soreness is a death sentence, but I had heard back when he was traded from the Dodgers to the Twins that originally when he came over from the KBO, like, Everybody, every team was nervous because he had really bad medicals. I always thought that was interesting because he never really got hurt in Major League Baseball, but I guess the Dodgers never really pushed him. So I, I don't know. Jury's still out on Kenta Maeda. But let's talk about uh, his former teammate, Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger has been making some swing adjustments. The Dodgers sent assistant hitting coach Aaron Bates along with Bellinger and Zach McKinstry as they went through part of their rehab, with Bates continuing to work with Bellinger on some of the swing adjustments he was hoping to make. Dave Roberts says Bellinger is now, quote, in a really good place mechanically and mentally. Now, the way I see it is that you can interpret this news in one of two ways. Either it's good because Bellinger is always trying to tune his swing to be the elite player that he has shown us in the past, or it's bad because he is tinkering literally all the time, which may hurt his ability to find his swing. Where do you guys fall on this? Mike, you're the Dodgers fan. I'll ask you first. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, Cody Bellinger has proven to be an elite player. Um, if he's changed his swing before and it's worked for him, I don't see how it won't for this time around. Um, great players find out other ways to be great. Look at Fernando Tatis. I don't know if he is swinging the way that he was beforehand, but <laughs> whatever he's done, it's working. So I'm not too worried about it. Jake? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's it could be one of those things where you could you can definitely be a guy who tinkers too much, like kind of the kind of the paralysis by analysis sort of thing where you you sort of tinker your way out of being good for a while. I think Cody Bellinger is definitely one of the most talented players in the league. It's just can't maybe this maybe this uh, affects his ability to kind of get in a rhythm if he's constantly tinkering all the time. I don't I don't see this as something you really should worry too much about, but just kind of something that you note if he's struggling. Maybe maybe this is why. So I don't I don't think it really affects. I don't think it's enough to say that it affects his value at all. It's just kind of. It could be kind of annoying. Sure, yeah. And I, I don't think it lowers his value or anything like that either. I just think it's interesting because I have never, maybe it's just because he's one of the premier players in baseball and we don't 
you don't hear of the elite guys changing their swing very often because, you know, that swing is usually what leads to the elite production. But I want to say this is the fourth swing change Cody Bellinger has made since he won the MVP award back in 2019. And that is, that's a lot. Like, I don't know, Cody Bellinger, I have a, you know, a soft spot for him in my heart because he was on my team, you know, the year that he won MVP. But I feel like since then, he has been one of the most inconsistent elite players in the game. And one can't help but wonder if it's because he keeps changing his swing. Like, he's still been an above-average player at worst when he's been on the field and elite most of the time. But I don't know. I would just be frustrated as his owner. Not Again, not that it lowers his value, but just frustrated that he's always trying to change things because like Jake said, I feel like it would be hard to find a rhythm that way. But ultimately I'm sure that he knows best what he is doing and what he is aiming to do. So I think you kind of trust the baseball instinct there. You trust uh, that elite players will find ways to be elite. So I don't think that there is much to worry about with Cody Bellinger, but thought it was interesting to mention because again, you don't really hear often of a guy changing their swing four times in two years, especially when, Two years ago, they won MVP. <laughs> so, but that is Cody Ballinger. And that is a wrap on episode 11 of the Best Player Wins Fantasy Baseball podcast. Thank you, Mike, for joining us this week. Anything to mention before we hop off? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. I definitely not as expertise in baseball as, I, as you guys are, but. I really enjoy it. Um, I think it's right up there with fantasy football, if not higher. And I love this stuff. Definitely learning a lot more. And this podcast helps. And let the best player win when it comes all down to it, right? Yeah, exactly. Again, thanks for coming on, Mike. I had a great time with you this week. And uh, for Jake Deemer, I'm Nate Endries. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee